It's a Walnut Wednesday edition of the Maya Ag Life Daily News Report. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In a report today with Taylor Charleston, he has a reminder for growers on the potential danger of spotted lanternfly for walnut growers. And I'll have a look at regional and national agricultural news, beginning with regional ag news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. A shortage of lettuce in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada is connected to problems on the other side of the continent, namely drought and crop disease in California. But an agriculture and resource economist says solutions can be grown closer to home. Catherine Kesky, a professor at the University of California, said that she was not surprised to hear about the shortage of lettuce in Newfoundland and Labrador because of the province's reliance on importation. She says when one loses governance over one's food resources and is dependent on exports from all over the world, when there's a disruption to that part of the world, you're in a bit of a situation where you can't do anything about it. Cost is the main reason why the province imports so much of its food supplies. Climate is another, according to Kesky. Kesky's book called Food Futures focuses on food security and food sovereignty in Newfoundland and Labrador. A former faculty member at Memorial University's Grenfell campus, she now lives in California where she's experienced the drought firsthand. She says water availability is an issue and it's going to make things unpredictable. She says she thinks the most stable thing really would be for Newfoundland and Labrador to grow that produce in its own province. Though Newfoundland and Labrador is reliant on its own supply chain, Kesky says there are ways the province should take some control of its food supply, such as indoor production. Green Day Produce Incorporated of Vernon, California is recalling its 200 grams and 7.05 ounce packages of enoki mushrooms, a product of Korea, sold from September 2022 to October of 2022 because it has the potential to be contaminated with listeria, an organism which can cause serious and sometimes fatal infections in young children, frail or elderly people, and others with weakened immune systems. Although healthy individuals may suffer only short-term symptoms such as high fever, severe headaches, stiffness, nausea, abdominal pain, and diarrhea, listeria infection can cause miscarriages and stillbirths among pregnant women. The recalled enoki mushroom was distributed nationwide to distributors and retail stores. No illnesses have been reported to date in connection with this problem. The distribution of the product has been suspended. The potential for contamination was discovered after a retail sample was collected and analyzed by Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development and revealed the presence of listeria. Consumers who have purchased the packages of Anoki are urged to return them to the place of purchase for a full refund. The Port of Oakland's full imports and full exports rose compared to last month and compared to October of 2021 volumes. Total loaded container volume rose 5.9% compared to October of 2021. The port handled about 146,000 loaded TEUs or 20-foot containers last month compared to about 138,000 TEUs in October of 2021. Full exports jumped 4.8%, recording just over 66,000 TEUs in October of 2022 compared to just over 63,000 TEUs in October 2021. Loaded exports rose 21% from September of 2022, with just over 62,000 TEUs coming through the seaport. In produce, fruits and vegetables rose 14.1% in October over September of 2022. However, they are down 36% year over year. Full imports were up 6.7% over 2021 volume and rose 2% compared to September of 2022 volume. Despite October's 
gains in cargo volume, it is insufficient to reverse the declines from earlier this year. Long-term indicators still point to an overall decrease in import cargo volume. Freight rates continue to drop, and American retailers report that their inventories are still higher than normal, diminishing the demand for imports. Church Brothers is pleased to announce the appointment of Brian Hunt to Senior Vice President of Ag Operations Effective Immediately. Hunt has played an integral role in ag operations over the last nine years at Church Brothers and has been the managing partner for CNH Farms, a farming joint venture with Church Brothers for the past eight years. Hunt brings over 20 years of experience in farming and harvest operations, having worked for Tanamira and Antle and multiple farming operations over his career. Hunt's experience, expertise, and work ethic bring immense value to the organization, according to Chief Executive Officer Brian Church. He says Hunt has a proven track record with Church Brothers over the past nine years. He has excelled on the farming side of their business, and promoting him to run the entire operation was a natural choice. He is the right person for the role, once again, according to Church. Hunt commented, saying his vision for the role is to continue to align the ag operation activities across the organization to capitalize on growth opportunities for Church Brothers, helping them to move to the next level. The California Milk Advisory Board has announced the return of its consumer promotion focused on holiday breakfast traditions with dairy. The annual campaign titled Holiday Mornings Mean More debuted in 2020 and focuses on the California market. Holiday Mornings Mean More communicates messages of family togetherness and the importance of celebrating time together over special breakfast recipes. The featured promotional menu provides a turnkey solution for busy shoppers where any of the recipes can be scaled up or down to accommodate gathering sizes. The menu includes recipes designed to be enjoyed together, such as Greek veggie and feta frittata, a pancake and waffle party board, cheesy hash brown egg bites, and a hot and tasty beverage board. The promotion will run November 28th through December 25th and will be geo-targeted around just over 1,500 California stores. It will be supported with in-store media and shopper marketing activations. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Rhodesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Rhodesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. The spotted lanternfly, or SLF, which is an invasive pest in many parts of the eastern United States and is spreading westward, has multiple cultivated and wild hosts in California. The black walnut and other Juglandaceae members are common hosts of SLF. The cultivated English walnut and the endemic California walnut are among the important hosts that could harbor SLF populations and are at risk if the pest invades California. The extent of SLF risk to various cultivated hosts, potential economic losses, and the distribution of wild and cultivated hosts that support SLF populations was determined recently by generating various maps using crop data from the state and various counties by UCCE's Surendra Dara and UCCE's Roland C. Boko. Dara, now at Oregon State University, explained a bit about the pest in general, including some of its biology. Spotted lanternfly is actually a plant hopper. Um, it's uh, a, a pretty insect. It is about one inch uh, long with uh, bright colors and uh, spots. So it looks uh, like a very pretty insect, but it is also a dangerous insect. 
because of the host range and uh, the damage it can cause to some of the important uh, uh, cultivated uh, crops we have in California or elsewhere. Um, it is um, a hemipteran insect. So the life stages include eggs, which are covered by a protective coating and it overwinters in the egg stage. So it works out well. Uh, mm -hmm. Then it has four nymphal instars. The first three are dark with the black with white markings and the fourth instar is, has red and white and black markings. Then you have males and females. So it has only one generation per year um, in, in its um, you know, typical native environment or the new environment in the you know, Eastern United States. So what um, eggs are laid um, from September to December and then egg period continues for several months. So they hatch um, in spring, spring to summertime. Then again, you have adults uh, late spring to, um, I mean, late summer to fall. So this is its life cycle. And obviously when it moves to a warmer uh, climate, like uh, something like California, we don't know exactly what happens to its life cycle. Uh, it will de definitely shorten, but would it have multiple generations? Uh, we don't know, Pro probably not. Let us hope it does not uh, have that situation. According to Dara, research shows that the spotted lanternfly has 22 uncultivated hosts and 70 cultivated hosts in the state of California, and that that list could change as more research is done. Some of the cultivated hosts uh, in California are apples, apricots, um, cherries, grapes, the most important one. And then we have peaches, pears, persimmons, plums, pomegranates, roses. Uh, and walnuts. So th these are already quite a few important crops and just blue, um, just uh, grapes and walnuts are um, uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, the, the, the five billion, more than $5 billion um, of uh, uh, crop value just for two commodities. Dara and Boko used county crop reports to determine SLS risk levels and data were entered into a spreadsheet and maps were generated using QGIS open source software. These maps show the distribution of cultivated walnuts in various counties and the level of risk based on acreage value and production volume. These mapping was done both for cultivated hosts and wild hosts. Cultivated hosts are easy to track because we know where they're grown, how much of an acreage they have and the value. Uh, but for wild hosts, it is uh, based on multiple reports and so, some estimation was also there. So coming to the risk of spotted lantern flight to walnuts, uh, we have three sets of maps. Um, it is based on the acreage, then it is based on the value of walnuts in different counties and then uh, yield. Uh, so let us quickly look at uh, acreage. Based on the acreage, um, San Joaquin uh, County is at very high risk, followed by Tulare and Butte counties, and then uh, Stanislaus and uh, Glen and Sutter counties are at uh, moderate risk. So we, we have these um, levels, and then there are other counties that are at low risk or very low risk. 
And then coming to the value, uh, then we have Butte and San Joaquin at very high risk because of the value uh, of um, walnuts produced in these two counties. Uh, then we don't have anything with the high risk than the counties with moderate risk are Stanislaus, Glen, Sutter, and Tulare. And uh, low risk counties are Kings, Yuba, Colusa, and Tehama. Then rest of the state is at a very low level of risk. As for some of the earlier parameters being taken for this pest, importing natural enemies from the native country of the invasive pests that are very specific to the targeted invasive pests and releasing them in the new area of invasion is one of the common approaches. Although various species of imported biocontrol agents are currently under investigation, they don't seem to be an immediate option due to some host specificity concerns. However, several researchers are working on various integrated pest management strategies to manage SLF, according to Dara. Multiple people have been working on various aspects. Uh, for example, I have been working on the outreach, and then we have uh, other UC researchers working on ex exploring biocontrol options. When we have an invasive pest like spotted lanternfly, uh, classical biological control is usually the uh, you know, best solution for long-term and area-wide control. So um, egg, our nymphal parasitoids are being examined and if they are found host-specific, that means they are going to attack only uh, spotted lanternfly. Uh, we have the possibility of them um, being released for spotted lamp fly control. Um, but research in terms of applied research, other than that, we are not doing any applied research in California because we don't have the pest yet. Uh, but uh, CDFA is, um, has put spotted lamp fly on the watch list and they, they're working on you know, looking at various ways to mitigate its uh, uh, invasion. Uh, but okay. more than that, everybody has to take part because this is not just an agricultural pest. It can hitchhike on vehicles and arrive on packages and everything that is coming from in infested areas. So more than the government, everybody, uh, it is every citizen's responsibility to uh, be aware of this pest, be able to identify the, uh, you know, mobile stages or egg stages and then report to the concerned authorities. In terms of what growers of potentially affected commodities by spotter and lanternfly can do at the moment, the answer is simple. Continue supporting industry research to help against spotter lanternfly and create awareness for the pest. Research is being done with the help of a collaboration with growers, but not necessarily in California, but in general everywhere. Um, that that has been a major part of addressing any uh, pest issue, uh, then they could contribute to increasing um, the awareness of spotted lanternfly. Uh, when we have an agricultural pest, it is uh, typically growers, researchers, and you know, concerned uh, entities that are involved in addressing it. But this pest uh, can attack uh, uh, plants in the landscape areas and the backyards every, everywhere. So it is not just a, a, an agricultural pest, but it is also a huge nuisance pest for urban areas too. Uh, because of that, growers, um, growers, several growers are already aware of the pest and what's being uh, done, but they could also contribute to 
increasing the impact of outreach by you know communicating to their friends and other people and uh, um, basically we want everybody in California to be aware of the pest be able to identify and delay its invasion as much as possible sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research advocacy for government programs and driving consumer demand, doing more together. Come celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Almond Conference. This year's agenda will be packed with content focused on helping growers improve ROI, including but not limited to water supply, pollination, irrigation, fertigation, rootstocks, and pest management. Make plans now to join your fellow Almond industry members at the Almond Conference on December 6th through the 8th at the Safe Credit Union Convention Center in downtown Sacramento. Register now at almonds.com conference. For generations, dairy breeders have sought out animals that look the part, but how does a cow's physical conformation relate to economically important traits like the lifetime milk production or components of a cow? A recent study from the Holstein Association USA analyzed almost 20 years of data that answers that question. Miles Ramsey has the story. New research from Holstein Association USA proves conformation matters. Using a data set of more than a million cows, spanning almost 20 years, the organization matched data from official linear classification scores to dairy herd improvement records. And Holstein Association USA analytics and innovation scientist, Dr. Jeffrey Bewley says results are clear. Cows that are more functionally correct last longer and produce more energy corrected milk than those that are less functionally correct. Based on the research, registered Holstein cows in the top quartile for classification scores from 82 to 89 produced almost 13,400 more pounds of energy-corrected milk across their lifetimes when compared to the bottom quartile, animals with scores of 50 to 76. Quick math, using a $20 per hundredweight long-term milk price results in a difference of $2,678 in lifetime gross revenue per cow. It provides us with a set of information that helps us understand, based on a large population of animals, what's important to look at. And as we're thinking about making decisions about what to breed for, what to select for, we have now some information that sometimes says this particular trait was more important than we thought it was. Many dairy farmers conduct classification evaluations annually. Holstein Association USA classifiers visit the farm and score animals based on five major areas. The physical evaluations prove to be important, both in the barn and in the milking parlor. A lot of the other traits, rear udder in particular, rear udder height and rear udder width, relate very well to how long that animal lasts, how much she milks, and also a lot of the other traits actually relate to somatic cell score. So those things are, are very important for how long and how much that animal produces. Another thing I think that's important uh, is, is some of the feet and leg traits. Foot angle, for example, has a lot to do with how long that animal stays in the herd. Solid confirmation, greater longevity, more production, all reasons why classification continues to be an important aspect of dairy herd management. Visit HolsteinUSA.com to learn more. For Holstein Association USA, I'm Miles Ramsey. 
Heading into the holiday baking season, butter prices are indeed at an all-time high. That's for a few reasons. The biggest one is simple demand. Americans love butter, with the highest per capita consumption since the 1960s, leading into the highest overall demand ever for the nation's preeminent spread and baking ingredient. Overseas markets are also getting in on the action with another record year for dairy trade possible in 2022. Meanwhile, butter supplies haven't as of yet been able to keep up with the latest demand enough to stabilize prices. That's especially been the case in the past couple of months when retailers traditionally stock up in anticipation of the holidays. And of course, once you get past the actual cost of making butter itself and then add transportation, packaging, labor, and all the other costs that are making everything else more expensive too, that is a recipe for higher butter prices on the grocery store shelf. The National Milk Producers Federation has sent a letter to lawmakers asking for support of domestic infant formula production as the shortfalls that emptied stored shelves of formula have eased. Given the improving situation, tariff waivers that could discourage the production of a safe, secure domestic infant formula supply should be allowed to expire at the end of this year as scheduled. The milk producers sent their letter to the chairman and ranking members of the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee. Given the temporary shortfall that gripped American families and need a formula earlier this year has abated, they are urging Congress to ensure that the unique unilateral tariff benefits granted to trading partners under the Formula Act and the Bulk Infant Formula to Retail Shelves Act end as scheduled at the close of the year, according to the letter. They request opposition to efforts to extend the benefits. How does an agritourism operator and their customer benefit in the form of agribusiness? USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain reports. There are several reasons ag producers decide to enter into agritourism. Yet as Oregon State University Extension's Audrey Cumberford explains, benefits also greatly vary, both for the business owner and operator and their customers. From the economic perspective, it may allow the farms to charge a higher price for their farm products. As we know, it's not getting easier to be a farmer. Engaging directly with customers to promote the sale of product, that's another positive benefit. It may improve farm viability by adding additional revenue stream. Especially as margins in agriculture become tighter. Maybe having an open farm day or two throughout your season. Maybe that extra income from that or small events or classes, those extra couple thousand dollars may mean the huge difference between whether you make it to the next year or not for some of these operations. In addition, it can also allow the farmer ranch to employ additional family members or maybe even a community member on the farm, either part or full time. Agritourism can also aid in farm succession. Where the second third or fourth or even fifth generation to that farm maybe is looking to put their own spin on it. And by adding the direct consumer sales or on-farm events, it lets them carve out a niche in their family business. As the COVID-19 pandemic demonstrated, agritourism provides a relationship-building opportunity with local communities. Folks were looking either to get out of the house, connect with their local food systems. And so while that community relationship building has always been there, we sought strengthen a lot during the pandemic. Several agritourism operations are not operated as a business by the farm owner, but rather to educate the public 
about agriculture. There's a larger disconnect between what happens on farmland, how food and fiber is grown and processed, and what the public knows or perceives. And so these farms that open up to the public really provide that educational piece about what goes on in our agriculture sectors here in the U.S. Cumberford says even with the educational component of agritourism as a sole focus, there still could be an indirect residual effect for the business side of such an operation. Even using it as a marketing so later on these folks then think about the farm and will maybe buy their product from them rather than someone else. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be Hero, Superior Bees, Superior Pollination. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10%, optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with phycoterra. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 